Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods, one minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. Hey, and I'm Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. And we are super stoked because we have a guest today. Yay! It's- Yahoo! it's harper w harris from the thing minute hey guys thanks for having me thank you for being here yeah (laughs) so excited you're our our uh let's see second this is the second time we've had a guest and we're really happy that it's you yeah i'm honored to be a part of it for sure so, okay, so I'm going to get us into this minute, and, and I'm so glad to have you here with us. We've just entered the cabin. This episode, minute 16, um, Holden enters his room. Jules and Marty can be heard in the background, and what was kind of cool about this was that I have seen this movie a bunch of times, and this was one of those awesome Easter eggs that I had never heard this before, but there's some off-camera conversation between Jules and Marty, and Jules says, hey, everyone, put on your swimsuits. In 10 minutes, we're hitting the lake, and Marty comments by saying, I was not informed that there would be calisthenics. (laughs) And I really resonate with that because I feel like, and I don't know if you guys have run into this, but I I feel like I've been invited to things, kind of outdoorsy things. And there's this expectation that I can't just sit in a chair and drink beer, that they want me to move and do things. Right. (laughs) So I just, I really appreciate that. And it was very endeared by Marty's comment. Yeah, I had never noticed those in either of those lines before either. I might have heard them like in the theater when I saw it way back then, but definitely it was not something I remembered until, uh, you know, going back and watching it and turning the volume way up for this. (laughs) Yeah, I remember I I don't really remember it offhand, but I, I think with this minute, I was a little bit more obsessed with this artwork. So as you mentioned, Holden goes into his his room, his little room in the cabin. I wanted to take a moment and just talk about, I've referenced that I have the uh, the visual companion and that they talk a little bit about just the cabin itself. And I just wanted to mention that sort of the, the stats, if you will. So there were two, there was, the cabin was built on location and then on a stage. So um, Martin Wist, the, the designer said that the cabin was built from scratch both on location and in the studio we built the cabin exterior and a little bit of its interior on location and then the interior and a little bit of the exterior we built on stage so they kind of show a little a little graphic of that which is basically what i just said (laughs) there's some (laughs) of the outside and some of the inside (laughs) the cabin in um is made in, in made from studio flats which are just standard wood flats that we use in all sets on the back side, And then the front surface is made from some real old siding for a lot of the wood, particularly the wood on the exterior. My construction coordinator went around the Vancouver area and found barns that had collapsed or were being demolished. So that was very, very old weathered wood that we used for the exterior and the porch. The interior was clad in a thin rough sawn wood that we then aged. And so I just noticed a lot, you know, since now we finally made it into the cabin, I noticed a lot of that, you know, aged interior wood and was just kind of like, oh, this is cool. This is something 
that you do when you're making a movie. <laughs> you make this cool aged wood that I felt like it was pretty, pretty authentic. But then we get this crazy painting. So I definitely have stuff to talk about with this painting, but before I just yammer on and make this whole minute about what I observed, um, <laughs> what uh, what else is going on here? Harper, is there anything in particular you that caught your eye for this well, minute? I, I I didn't know about them building to um, you know a set and an on location one. That's pretty cool, and that's that's funny because I found out the exact same thing about the thing when I was uh, researching for that, that they had, they built identical sets, both, you know, on a soundstage and on a, in an actual exterior location. So that's kind of interesting, but yeah, I mean, just as far as them kind of entering the cabin at the beginning of the minute, the whole, uh, uh, are you going to go catch us a raccoon? And then um, uh, I will use its skin to make a cap. <laughs> I, always <thought> was, <laughs> I always thought it was like kind of a funny line that I guess, I don't know. It's maybe another spot that's supposed to um, set uh, set him up as set Kurt up as a little bit more intelligent than your average jock. Like that's not something like you know your average like meathead jock would say, probably. Right. Or yeah, definitely not yeah. the way they would say it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I always think that line kind of stands out as being kind of kind of funny. Yeah, I agree totally. How about you, Molly? Well, I did a little bit of research about Martin Whist. I just love that last name. (laughs) Mostly because I was kind of curious about the production design aspect. So Martin Whist was the production designer for this flick. He got his master's from Claremont and he studied painting and sculpture. And one of the articles I ended up reading um, was from reapmediazine.com, which was written by Tina Valen and was talking a little bit about how he got into production design and it was kind of a plan B because he's a fine artist and he mm. had his stuff up in galleries and um, he ended up getting hooked up with a uh, production design place and started sweeping floors and he just sort of, you know, worked his way into it. And he had a really excellent explanation for what a production designer is and does. And so he said, if you take all the actors in a film that you see on screen, have them drop all their props and walk off set, what's left is his domain. I love that description. That is a smart way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, dude, that's, I will put that in my back pocket. (laughs) Uh, He was the production designer on Super 8. He was the production designer on the Robocop reboot, um, Warm Bodies, and then also Cloverfield, which was written by Drew Goddard, who directs this film. Um, And he also did the production design on Tenacious D and The Pick of Destiny, which I thought was also also pretty sweet. Um, And he is also the production designer on the new Predator movie. They're remaking Predator, apparently. And uh, he's working with art director Michael Diner, who is also from The Cabin in the Woods. So they're working together again. Oh, cool. That's nice. So he did he so he he actually painted the painting for this. He didn't just find it and use it for the set. That's my cue. <laughs> so, yeah, you'd think that maybe he did the painting since we just found out he was a fine artist, but he uh in the book he describes working with a a, a painter, a classical painter. And so what he has to say about the painting is that he said it was fun, but he said the the poor guy actually had to paint it was classically trained and a wonderful painter. He doesn't specifically say the name of the guy, but that he says um, he kind of gave him, now we know, you know, now that we know Martin is a, 
a painter too, you can tell, you know, he gave him a lot of references, the the painter for this painting. He said Gainsborough, some English landscape paintings, a little bit of uh, Goya and other dark painters. But he said that, that um, I'm just going to paraphrase it. So I'm not just reading out of the book the whole time. Just that the guy, they kept telling the guy, bloodier and bloodier <laughs> and he was like what you know and he's just kind of started scoffing at them a bit afterwards so yeah he just he just kept saying I, I really want a lot more blood in in this picture so so yeah they did hire somebody else and then but what I found really interesting was they kept referring to this painting like written in here in the book and then in some other places as being hunters. And then earlier on, they said, you know, that there it was with a, a lamb, which obviously, if you've looked and looked at this image for any length of time, it looks like a huge, like goat, kind of a big goat, and then a bunch of dogs. And then, you know, they're all kind of hacking at this thing. But the painting that's in the book, the official visual companion is actually a ver earlier version. So in the book, I see a bigger version of it, but it actually has some different details. So one of the main details was in the book, some of the guys are shirtless and kind of the, I'd say the main guy that is the largest, looms largest in this image actually is missing most of his left arm. Later on, we're going to learn that that's part of how the Buckners, who who owned this house and conceivably, you know, built this house, that that's part of their family ritual and that, that Patience Buckner, Buckner is also missing an arm. So at some point, this guy might have been, you know, maybe we're looking at this as like, these are early Buckners. But I didn't think the, anybody here really looked like a somebody that was hunting they it looked more to me like they were in a, some sort of ritual and that the the fellow way in the far back that's sort of gazing over everything looked more like um sort of maybe their spiritual leader or uh especially his frock looked like a 18th century frock coat something that somebody like a religious figure would wear, like a Catholic clergy. Actually, that hat I looked up is a Capello Romano hat, or they also called it um, a Saturno hat because it sort of looks like Saturn. Mm. So he was looking like a religious figure back there with maybe a long stick or or something. And, and then he's looking over these men who the main difference really in this picture and the other ones is what I mentioned, which is some of them are, are shirtless in the earlier version. And there's that one arm that's got a lot less to it. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you guys think about this painting? I think it works. I always, you know, I think I always notice it as like, it's not too on the, like, it's definitely very creepy, like creepy enough that it's like, on one hand, you kind of wonder, like, why would anyone ever have a painting of this? Like, in, in what <laughs> yeah. circumstance would you want this hanging up? But on the other hand, it's not so, like, on the nose, uh, like an uh, like such an obvious kind of eye-rolling horror thing that it does, it, like, it does kind of feel like a real thing. Like, not that they would have it hanging there, but that the painting, like, I kind of thought the painting might be a real, you know, painting that exists in our, our world outside of the movie universe. Uh, just because there is some 
you know, there's some weird stuff out there like this. Um, sure, sure. But yeah, certainly the aspect of why anyone would be like, yeah, let's let's go to Ikea and pick this one up to hang up on the wall. Like, <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, it's pretty it's a pretty unsettling image. Um, you know, definitely the, the sacrifice aspect of it is pretty um, hits pretty hard there that, that goes along with, uh, you know, what we'll find out about uh, what's going on with our main characters. Yeah, I thought that this was more of like an old-timey Iron Maiden painting. Like, I thought it was very metal, because at first I'm like, oh, this is meant to really disturb you. This is like a really, you know, violent, you know, ritualistic, sacrificial. And and I had a lot of the same feelings that Heidi did in talking about that there's a dude who's kind of off in the distance who, you know, doesn't have a, a face that's really articulated well. It's blank, and he's, you know, off in the distance kind of you know, watching the whole scene. But I also thought like, well, maybe this is like, you know, if you were like 15 years old and you didn't have an Iron Maiden poster, but you were super metal, maybe you'd have this kind of painting in your room. I just think of, <laughs> I had a good, <laughs> a good friend growing up and he was really into taxidermy and he had all of these like old school, like metal posters in his room. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just like an old 80s, like metalhead kind of thing, you know, like this is what you have for fun and decorative in your space. <laughs> It does kind of look like a metal album cover. I could buy that. <laughs> yeah, so I I just found, like I said, it was kind of interesting that they keep referring it as like, you know, hunters. And so maybe at first blush, if you're just glancing at it, you're like, oh, yeah, they're hunters. But this is the way that, that this um, goat has, I'm not going to go into full detail, but the way the goat is being um, hacked at it doesn't look like somebody's, you know, <clears throat> brought down an animal and then they're going to part it out for, uh, you know, for tonight's dinner or anything like that. Definitely has more of a, a ritual kind of a look to it. And then the guy in the back, he kind of just, I mean, he's there for some sort of reason. And I'm not saying that they, you know, story boarded out what what this, this painting's all about, but he definitely uh, looks... I don't know, also kind of like a Slender Man type character back there. He's got sort of long legs and long arms and things like that, too. So, I don't know, it's pretty cool. It was, I enjoyed sitting here and kind of, you know, scrubbing back and forth and checking out the details of this, this painting. I really appreciate that you were talking about the difference between an older version of the painting and a newer version. Because when I was doing research, I had found one and I was like, oh, this looks virtually identical but i was like well wait a minute there's a dude who doesn't have an arm here but that's not reflected in this painting but they're almost identical and i was trying to figure out well did somebody like make a replica because they're like oh this is a really great painting i want to have this and just make it creepier for some <laughs> right, reason right <laughs> i like this guy but without an arm <laughs> <laughs> um it's not like a thomas kincaid kind of thing you can go pick it up at the mall and be like can we just make a few changes here <laughs> But yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I, I But at the same time, I kind of feel like they should have used the old version because I think that has a more direct allusion to Patience Buckner than this particular painting does. Yeah, maybe just the more blood they added, the more they just decided that that was, that was plenty to look at or... I don't know. Yeah, or maybe they thought that would be a little too on the on the nose or on the stump, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure you guys will probably get into it more later when the Buckners make their appearance. But I always thought it's kind of strange that, you know, that the Harbinger brings 
brings up the Buckners too. It, it, they they make the Buckners seem like the obvious monster of choice when when later on, you know, there are obviously so many different things that could happen. So I always thought it was kind of odd. So I'm kind of glad they didn't make the painting specific to the Buckners, since you know it could be any number of uh of nasty creatures that uh that they discover. Mm, yeah, that's fair. yeah good. That is a good point. So, yeah, what else did you all observe about this particular minute here, minute 16? Well, when uh, when he goes to pull the, the painting off the wall, I don't know if I noticed it before, but definitely looking at it this closely, the camera move that follows the painting like really, really closely and zoomed in is really weird. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, it's got an obvious reason for existing. Like it's obviously it's so that they can preserve the, the reveal of the, the two way mirror, but right. Um, but it is really odd. Like I, I, I wish I could remember when I saw it the first time, if I was like, this is kind of strange, like it's almost kind of disorienting because there's no reference point around it. Like you're so zoomed in on the painting and then suddenly the paintings like, on the floor and not on the wall. It, it's kind of a weird way to do it, but I, I don't really, I can't really think of a better way they could have shot it, but it, it is kind of, um, I don't know. It's just a little strange. Yeah. And I think if we're kind of hanging out with Holden here, it almost makes sense in that we might be going, Ooh, I want to look at this a little closer, you know, like this, I want to get a closer look on this creepy ass painting. Yeah, and then I, I did notice, too, sound-wise, that when we start this minute, there is no sound that I heard at all. You know, no music or, you know, it, no nothing extraneous. And then we, so then this little, do you call that like a sting? Like the little reveal, uh, yeah. you know, he, like you said, he put, he puts down the artwork and then how do you sound people describe this little section right here? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. They would call it a sting. Um, yeah. I mean, just that kind of like very kind of short transient, uh, you know, bit of strings and horns just to kind of, it, it's like an auditory jump scare, but yeah, this one's obviously not like a major, like, I don't think it's really meant to make you jump out of your seat, maybe in a movie theater where it's nice and loud, it might, but um, you know, it is supposed to kind of shock you just a little bit or, or put you in his shoes to, to, uh, to know that he's feeling very shocked when he suddenly notices it. Cool. Yeah. And I like how I like, I feel like what she does in the mirror totally makes sense to me as a girl, you know, like showing up after a bit of a long drive and then going like, Hmm, I wonder, Oh, there's a mirror here. I wonder, is there anything in my teeth from lunch or just watching this is making me want to like look at my teeth <laughs> and kind of fluff my hair and you know see how things are going and i think his this to me this little part makes me feel like harper you're joining us for like a mini 3 minute rom-com right in the middle of the, yeah <laughs> of this movie yeah definitely no, I think you're right. I think the the her kind of checking her teeth in the mirror and stuff. It is natural for the character, but it also is a very it's a clever way to immediately cue us in that this is a mirror on her side. Like because it starts out, she's just kind of staring through, and it's like, whoa, this is odd. Like there's a big hole in the wall, and then then obviously you know the fact that she can't see him, and you know we we immediately know what the deal is just based on her actions. Right, because it's something that you would do alone because it's a right. it's a vulnerable. Checking herself out that way is done in in a solo state. 
that intimacy of like, okay, I'm checking out my teeth and, you know, you wouldn't do that in front of a stranger. So that is like a really, I think, quick shorthand for she doesn't see him. Yeah. So speaking of two-way mirrors, Molly, you were mentioning off mic that you'd done a little bit of two-way mirror history research. I did. Yeah. Um, And I think this came up in... I want to say we talked about it just like really offhand and quickly in a previous minute. We're like, wow, where did two-way mirrors kind of come from and how long have they been around? Because the implication with the Buckner house is that it's pretty old, like maybe 1800s. Um, And actually, uh, two-way mirrors were patented in 1903 by Emil Bloch, who was a Russian living in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he patented his transparent mirror on February 17th, 1903. So So a little bit before WKRP in Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) Just a shade. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to my favorite podcast about that. Hold my order, terrible dresser. My favorite podcast about WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) anyways i digress (laughs) so yeah i can go into a little bit we're gonna deal with a little bit more two-way mirror action for the next minute and i'll give you a little more information about um how they're made and why they work the way they do and um the different i guess entities that utilize them yeah i've I've got i was I tried to do a little bit of research on trying to figure out other movies that kind of use this trope or, or this idea too, but we can uh, we could save that for tomorrow when we go full full two way mirror minute. Full, yeah, yeah, no, that sounds good. I love it. I love a little tease for for tomorrow. So yeah, is there anything else about this particular minute that that you guys wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I mean, I had other stuff about the mirror, but that was that was about it. Cool, Molly. Um, nope, I'm, I'm good. Sweet. Well, we're gonna, as, as we teased, Harper's gonna join us for, for our next minute. And, um, if all goes well and nobody (laughs) loses an arm, he'll be here for the minute (laughs) after that. (laughs) So that'll be it for episode 16. And I quickly just want to remind everybody that if you're new to the podcast, you can find all of our episodes and our subscription links and all of our helpful links to social media and everything at cabinminutecast.com. And um, Harper, where can we find you? So probably the most pertinent place to find me is on uh, the Thing Minute podcast. And you can find that on uh, thethingminute.com or just search us up on iTunes and Facebook and Twitter. We're all under the Thing Minute. And I think listeners get the idea. I think you know what that's about. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's about one of my favorite movies. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about that and maybe uh, our next episode or the episode after that. I'll definitely want to, you know, talk a little bit about your podcast because it's definitely a, a daily listener for me. Sweet. So thank you all for coming back around and tuning in to episode 16. And we will see you back at the cabin. <laughs>